Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here today. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6 in just a moment. We want to welcome you. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. So glad that you're here today. We're going to be studying together from Ephesians chapter 6. It's a beautiful day. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. We appreciate the beautiful singing today and the opportunity to worship together. <clears throat> today in our study, we want to talk about waging war against the enemy. It's good to know who the enemy is. The enemy that we're talking about is the devil. And he has declared war on those of us who belong to the human family. Since the Garden of Eden, the devil has been relentless in his attack on those of us who belong to the human family. And so what we're called upon to do is to, as Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Paul, in writing to Timothy, would say, wage the good warfare. And so we understand that we have an adversary, someone who is seeking to the best of his ability to destroy us. And so we want to wage war against the enemy, and that being the devil. So, in our study today, I want to invite you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 17. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about how the Apostle Paul calls on us to be strong in the Lord. Listen to him in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power or strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. First, let's talk about the source of our strength. Paul said, listen to him, be strong in the Lord. If we're going to be effective in our warfare against the devil, then we have to stay in the Lord. He is the source of our strength. I think about the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so there is a sense of strength that enables us as God's people to fight this relentless enemy. And then think with me, if you would, for a moment or two, not just about the source of our strength, but the surety of our strength. When we talk about the surety of our strength, there are a couple of things here. First and foremost, to understand that God, the Lord, has educated us about the enemy. In other words, God has been very transparent about this diabolical being that we know as the devil. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11, said, we're not ignorant of his devices. Why? Lest he gain advantage over us. And so we have to understand how the enemy operates. We have to know what he's up to. We have to understand his tactics. 
And the fact of the matter is, he is relentless in his overtures towards those of us who belong to the human family, or rather, who belong to the human family. So we need to be educated about the enemy, but then also we have to be equipped to meet the enemy. And Paul here tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God. Drop down and look with me, if you would, at verse 14. Paul said, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me just pause there for a minute. Can you imagine going to war, going to the battlefield without a weapon? I can't imagine being out on the battlefield trying to stay alive without a weapon in my hand. And yet so many times we try to do battle with the devil and we don't have a weapon. And Paul here said that the weapon that we're to carry is the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. As a matter of fact, if you look at every single piece of equipment listed here by Paul, they all go back to one source, don't they? Scripture. And so you think about going out on the battlefield. You're going to have a weapon. And then what about being on a battlefield and not having a helmet? When I was a kid, I used to love to watch combat movies. And you see guys out on the battlefield and grenades are going off and shrapnel is flying in the air. Well, you've got to have something to protect your head, don't you? So again, we've got to make sure that we are suited up for war, don't we? We've got to have on the right armor. We've got to be ready for the battlefield because the battlefield that we're talking about is the battlefield of life. And the enemy is doing everything that he can to literally destroy, to maim, to subvert our faith in God. And so we've got to be strong, we've got to be equipped, we've got to be ready to meet the enemy. So, when we talk about the surety, the surety of our strength really goes back to being educated about the enemy and then being equipped to meet the enemy. But then there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we have to be strong in the Lord, but then secondly, Paul discusses our struggles in the Lord. Listen now, if you would, to what Paul said, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. He said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me just talk to you for a minute or two truthfully about the enemy. In a very distinct way, the Bible lends insight into the truth about the enemy that we're facing. And there are some terms that are used to describe the one that we're going up against in battle. 
First, the Bible tells us that he is adversarial. In other words, he's not an ally. He's not somebody on our side. He's not with us, but rather he is against us. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, listen to him, seeking whom he may devour. And so he is an adversary, and he is out relentlessly pursuing those of us who wear the name of Christ, isn't he? Then there is another term that is used to describe our enemy. He is adversarial, but the Bible tells us he is a deceiver. In Revelation chapter 12, in verse 9, John said he is the deceiver of the whole world. In other words, he's deceptive. He is, as we would say, always trying to mask the truth, which really leads us to another term that is used to describe the devil. And that is in John chapter 8, verse 44, here's what Jesus said about the devil. He said he is a liar. Now think about that. He is an adversary, yes. He is deceptive, yes. And he's a liar. And then in that same text, John 8, verse 44, Jesus said he is a murderer. Not the kind of person you want to do business with. Not the kind of person that you would want to invite to dinner, would you? Would you want somebody staying in your home that was adversarial, deceptive, constantly lying? You couldn't go to bed at night without being concerned about your physical well-being? Well, those are terms that are used by God in Scripture to enlighten us about this enemy. The hard facts, the truth of the matter. He is not our ally. He is not our friend. He is not concerned about us. He has no compassion for us. He does not love us. There is nothing about us that He likes. The fact of the matter is, He despises, He loathes us. He wants to destroy us. So, the truth about the enemy. But what about his tactics? Tactically speaking, how does the devil operate? Well, listen again to Paul in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, that you may be able to stand against the wiles. The footnote is the schemes. He is a schemer, isn't he? If you look that word up, if you were to Google the word schemer, it really carries with it the idea of somebody who is underhanded. In other words, he's deceptive, isn't he? He's always scheming, plotting, and planning. He's always trying to devise something to do what? To disrupt, to subvert, to destroy those of us who belong to the family of God. That's his business, isn't it? And let me tell you what, he's very good at what he does. The devil has done his homework. 
He knows our points of vulnerability. He understands how to best exploit us, and he does it every single day, doesn't he? He's relentless in his attacks. So he's constantly scheming and working and planning, trying to do what? To bring us down. So not only is he a schemer, but he is subversive in nature. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 2 after God made man and placed him in the Garden of Eden? God specifically said, look, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, you're not to eat of it, lest what? Lest you die. So in chapter 3, the devil comes on the scene. Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden, they're in paradise, this utopian environment where all is well, all is good, life is great, and guess what? The devil comes calling. And he wants to know about the prohibition given. Has God said you're not to eat of every tree in the garden? And Eve said, we're not to eat nor touch the tree lest we die. Now, God never said anything about touching it. But listen, if you would, to what the devil said. The devil said, you will not surely die. Let me tell you what. Was that, was that true or false? Was it truth or was it a lie? It was a lie. And the Bible says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, had the ability to make one wise. As a matter of fact, Moses in his record prefaces this by saying that the devil told her, look, God knows you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. The devil. Please listen very carefully. The devil is selling a bill of goods to all of us in the human family. And he does it so well but he's selling us a bill of goods that when it's all said and done, it's false, isn't it? It might look good. It might be packaged in a very beautiful way. But in reality, behind it, behind that door, what do you have? Misery, heartache, sorrow, sadness, death. The devil wants you to believe what you need to do is worry about the here and now. Forget about eternity. Don't worry about your soul. You've got time. The devil wants you to believe that what you need to do is gratify yourself today. You know, there are things that really and truly are not in and of themselves what we would call wrong, evil, but the devil can make Things look so appealing, and he can create within us a desire for something that maybe nothing inherently is wrong with, but it's how we get it. For example, what would be wrong with a $100 bill? Anything wrong with that? like to have a lot more, wouldn't you? How many people have literally sold their soul for a dollar? 
or 20 or 50 or 100? Did you know that wars have been started over what? Money. Think about the number of people in our world that have been betrayed, lied to, cheated, over what? Over money. You see, Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing with these, he said, we shall be content. But those who are minded to be rich fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lust which drown men in destruction and perdition. Here's the problem, greed. The devil says you need more. You can never be satisfied with what you have. Solomon said he that loves silver, listen to him, will not be satisfied with silver. You'll never have enough, I promise you. You'll never have enough when it comes to monetary things, materialism, you can never get enough. And go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon had it all. And you know what the Bible says about Solomon? He hated life. Just because you have things doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happy and content and satisfied because if that were the case, a lot of people today would be happy and content, but they're not. Why? Because something is missing in life. The devil has said, Life, contentment, satisfaction, happiness is where? It's in these things. And God says, no, it's not. So, you think about the struggles that we face in the Lord. There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly. First, we're to be strong in the Lord. Secondly, our struggles in the Lord. And thirdly, we are to stand in the Lord. Listen to him. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let me just pause here. Think about Satan for a minute. Those of us in the human family, what in effect has Satan said to us? Particularly those of us who are Christians today. The Christian community, the church. What is it the devil is saying and the message is loud and clear? You know what it is? Stand down. Stand down. You ever seen somebody? They're in a hostile situation and their weapons are drawn. Sometimes the police will say, stand down. That means you lower your weapon. Stand down. That's what the devil is saying to us today, isn't it? Stand down. And could I say this? We have listened and done exactly that. Satan says, stand down. And you know what we've said? Okay. We will lower our weapons. What is our weapon? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 17. So how has he done that? Two ways. Number one, he has done it through intimidation, hasn't he? Look at the forces that are at work in our country today. If you didn't know better, you would think 
that Christianity is taboo, isn't it, in our country? A country that in many respects founded upon what? Founded upon a deep and abiding belief in the God of heaven. A country that was founded by men and women who believed in the ideals of Scripture. Who took to heart what the psalmist said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Who listened to what Solomon said when he wrote in Proverbs chapter 14, Righteousness exalts a nation. They believed that, didn't they? But what our culture says today is, Oh no, we can't talk about God. We don't need God in this country. And so from our courthouses, from the courthouse to the schoolhouse, we have said in effect, God, we do not need you. And so publicly speaking, we're a mess. And one of the reasons is because we as Christians have stood down. Satan said stand down and we have listened to what he's had to say. Look at the morality in our country. Amazing. What kind of movies are they making in Hollywood today? What kind of television shows are they putting on TV today. Same kind of stuff that they put on television in the 60s and 70s? Far from it. I mentioned a while back a movie that came out. And in this one movie, if I recall correctly, one cuss word used over 500 times a very degrading word, a filthy word. You want Hollywood to stop? You want to quit receiving a diet of filth? Let me tell you what you do. You just quit going to the theater. That's what you, that's what you do. What do they understand? They understand money, don't they? Money talks, don't buy any more tickets. Television shows, don't watch them. If you turn them off, guess what? They will get the message. And you tell me they're not intimidating us through television? That they're not trying to brainwash how we think? And how we act. Let me tell you what. The devil uses people, doesn't he? And we are involved in, as Paul said, spiritual warfare. So you think about the fact that in our country today, the devil says stand down, and by way of intimidation, we have stood down. Another way, legislation. You say, well, how could that be the case? I thought the government was to protect us. Supposed to. The civil government ordained by God according to Romans chapter 13. 
1973, Roe v. Wade sanctioned abortion. I looked this morning. In this country since 1973, there have been 59.7 million abortions in this country. Legislation. Legislating what we would call evil. The Bible still reads God hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. But guess what? Every single day in America, what's happening? Innocent blood being shed. What have we as the American public done? We have stood down. What have we as a Christian community done? We have stood down. Who's going to be the voice for those innocent babies? And then, just recently, the Supreme Court gave the okay for same-sex marriage. And what did we do? We stood down. Look, Satan says, stand down. Now, the Bible still reads, A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Publicly, privately, we have stood down, haven't we? Intimidation, legislation, and to those Supreme Court justices, I would say this. To congressmen, senators, those who have served the highest office in this land, here's my advice. Repent. Repent. That's what the Bible says. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Not a message people want to hear, but from the White House on down, that's what they need to hear. Repent. The devil is having his way, isn't he? Privately, look at the home. And we talk about our country today and why our country's in a mess. Our country's in a mess because our homes are chaotic. Quite frankly, they're a mess. All kinds of problems in the home. The psalmist had it right when he said that we're to build our homes on the Lord, aren't we? If we don't build our homes on the Lord, then we don't have the right foundation, we don't have the right cornerstone, and ultimately what's going to happen? It's going to collapse. So, first and foremost, Satan says, stand down. But here's what the Savior says. The Savior says, stand up. Listen to him. Look at verse 11. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 13. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Look, continuation. Having done all, to stand. Look at verse 14. Stand, therefore. You get the point? God is saying, as a child of God, we can't stand down. We have to stand up, don't we? Don't we have to stand up? If God is going to be heard in our country, in our world, then who? Who will be the voice? Us. We have to be the voice for truth, don't we? That means we have to be brave. 
We have to man up, woman up. We've got to be brave. We have to have the bravery of the apostles who in the threat, in the face of persecution, intimidation, they said we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. That is bravery. Not only do we have to be brave, we need some boldness, don't we? Holy boldness. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, these people prayed for boldness. And the Bible says in verse 31, they preached the word with what? With boldness. You know what the devil wants? He wants us to just fold. Look, the gospel is still God's power to salvation. Closed Bibles and closed minds lead to what? Chaos and anarchy. Open Bibles, open minds, strong voices for truth lead to what? Good things, don't they? Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a great prophet, a great preacher of God. Jeremiah kept preaching when the people didn't want to hear it. What Paul say? Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. You know what the world needs today? It needs truth. We're at war. And the prescription is truth. The prescription is you stand. Paul said you stand. Don't stand down. You stand up. So, in closing today, I want to ask this question. Are you standing? Or... Have you given up some ground? You know, we've given up a lot of ground in this country. And here's what Paul said, Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place, opportunity to the devil. Has he got ground in your home, in your life? If he does, you need to take it back. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, by all means, obey the gospel. What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Jesus said, except you believe that I am, He said, you'll die in your sins. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried with Him in baptism, then you can enjoy forgiveness, freedom from sin. Acts 2.38 If, for whatever reason, you are losing the battle, and you're back in the world, could we encourage you to come home? Come back to a loving God who will welcome you home. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?